holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. And then came Obama. Obama, 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 Obama. As we all probably hopefully remember in 2008, well, January of 2009, Obama rode in on that wave of hope and change. And man, what a think back on that election night. Everyone was so happy, full of hope and love and joy. It was almost like we lived in a great, beautiful country. What happened? What happened? Our country's going to hell. Anywho, Obama didn't just ride in on a wave of hope and change. He felt confident that he'd be able to fix any relationship that needed fixing. And when it came to Russia, he would be able to reset relations and ultimately fix things. And we could work together moving forward. And guess who he put in charge of that project? Enter my girl. Each American administration has come to office thinking that it had to and it could build a a constructive relationship with the Russians. This is, as Obama famously said, pressing the reset button. And the Obama administration comes in and does that. Now Mr. Obama wants to make Clinton the face of his... Obama entrusted the job of building the reset to his Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Obama entrusted the job of building the reset to his Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. Oh, yes. She's a central character moving forward, so buckle up. Hillary Clinton traveled to Geneva right after becoming Secretary of State. She traveled there to meet with the foreign minister, Russian foreign minister, and in her own awkward way, she tried to offer an olive branch. She and her staff put together a little gag gift type thing for the foreign minister. But as you hear towards the end of this clip, things open your ears, folks. Hear past the stupid awkwardness and the kind of cheesy joke and gift. Here at the end, hear how things kind of do take a, a slightly hostile turn. Jake Sullivan was Deputy Chief of Staff at the State Department. Secretary Clinton met with Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov of Russia in Geneva. And the goal of that meeting was actually to establish this thing called the reset. I wanted to uh, present you with uh, a little gift which represents what President Obama and Vice President Biden and I have been saying. And that is, we want to reset our relationship. Let's do it it together. So we will do it together. Uh, One of her staff members had the idea to actually memorialize the reset with a physical handing over of a reset button. Daniel Freed. Yeah, it's this this plastic button. It says reset, and it was just, it was kind of a, a gag gift, but it was also symbolic of what Hillary Clinton's trying to do. We worked hard to get the right Russian word. Foreign Minister Lavrov looked at it and said, that doesn't say reset, that says overcharge. Think we got it? You get it wrong. I got it wrong. So misspelled, that might have been prophetic. My Russian's a little rusty and I I trusted somebody else. I won't say who. It should be Perezagruska. And this says uh, Peregruska, which means overcharge. <laughs> well, we won't let you do that to us, I, I promise. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you so very much. Put me on my desk. <laughs> well, we... All right, listen to that tale end one more time. 
This says Peregruska, uh, which means overcharged. Well, we won't let you do that to us. I, I promise. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. That would be on my desk. <laughs> well, we. Uh... First of all, it says overcharge. Ha <laughs> ha. Hillary doesn't say, oh, well, we won't do that. She makes sure and say, well, we won't let you do that to us. Don't worry. <laughs> now, you could say that's unnecessarily aggressive, whatever. The point is, she knows these people. She's been around for a while. But I think the most interesting part comes right after that. She says, we won't let you do that. <laughs> he stops laughing and says, okay, put this on my desk, woman. And she is kind of like, wow. I mean, wow. Now, look, you can say what you... Hillary Clinton might have a silly laugh, a cackle, whatever. And yeah, she she might lack the charisma of her husband, Bill, or Barack Obama. She does. I admit it, of course. But to me, this was, in her own little way, especially at the beginning of this relationship, this was her standing up and not letting this Russian dude, letting him know that even if in a subtle and friendly way, that she was not just some woman that he could talk to like that and push around. Fuck no. The first time Obama met with Putin was not long after that. It was face-to-face, and frankly, Obama said hello, was friendly, and then Putin went on a tirade for like 10 minutes. He's losing his marbles, people. Because I remember their first meeting in July of 2009 at Putin's dacha, you know, just outside Moscow. Ambassador William Burns. They're much different personalities. President Obama's initial question, about 10 seconds, led to a 45-minute, you know, monologue by Putin. Obama advisor John Finer. You end up having to endure a bit of a history lecture, uh, deal with the what we used to call the airing of grievances at the beginning of, of every meeting. If that tells... Obama, everything he needs to know about Putin. Author Peter Baker. That this is somebody who is, in his mind, locked in the past, who is, uh, who is nursing resentment, and who is going to never be a full partner of the United States. Well, that's a good way to start. Fantastic! Again, Obama is intuitive and can read people well enough to know that, the, first of all, at this point, Putin's not subtle. It's very obvious. He's not, he has no interest in democracy. He doesn't want anything that America wants as far as democracy goes and freedom and blah, 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 blah. Immediately, Vladimir Putin sees Obama as a threat. I mean, Obama, when he came into office his first term, have there ever been, I mean, it was like a Kennedy type figure. And again, Putin saw him as a threat just as he'd seen every previous president but even more so because no president had been this wildly popular. And frankly, as I said earlier, and it continued and it became more frequent, each time we, as a, as a country, each time we took a dictator down, Putin got more angry and more afraid. I'm so scared! And never was that more obvious and clear than what happened in Egypt. The sound of freedom. President Hosni Mubarak has stepped One of the first down. to fall, Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. Journalist David E. Hoffman. I think that, particularly for Putin, what happened in Egypt was uh, something that really went right to his heart. Especially after the President of the United States weighed in. The United States will continue to stand up for democracy in Egypt and around the world. Jake Sullivan, State Department. Putin was personalizing the Arab Spring. 
that he was seeing it through the prism of what could possibly happen to him in Russia. Just as he had done when he saw Saddam Hussein go down and he saw Saddam Hussein's statue fall flat on its face, taken down by his own Iraqi people, mind you. Oh, shit. Now, the Arab Spring, let's talk about that for a second. That conflict came to a head in Libya. It was there that Hillary Clinton, as our Secretary of State, that's when she truly took the lead. God, and is not given the credit for it. She built an international coalition to take on Putin's ally, one of the few allies he has, and one of his fellow dictators, Muammar Gaddafi, another truly evil man. Gaddafi must go, and the Libyan people deserve to determine their own future. Rebel forces captured Gaddafi and dragged him from his hiding place. As Gaddafi was being captured, Clinton happened to be in front of the cameras. Wow. Unconfirmed. Unconfirmed. Yeah. Unconfirmed. No. Unconfirmed reports about Gaddafi being captured. Author Jonathan Allen. She found out about this as she was doing a television interview. The moments around Gaddafi's death were also caught on camera. Her response was... Yes, we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> did it have anything to do with your visit? No, oh, I'm sure it did. It was a moment of success and gratification for her. Uh, it tells you just how invested she was in the Libya mission and what she believed was going to be a great success for herself and for the United States. I want to just point something out here. People often, in fact, I know that I actually had a guest here in this studio once and we were talking about the election and Hillary Clinton. He actually brought up that clip when she said, when in regards to Gaddafi, she said, we came, we saw, he died. Yes, I get it. I get it. That sounds like she's kind of being flippant and treating a human life as so kind of dismissive and it doesn't sound great. Here's what you have to remember. If she said something like that about, oh, I don't know, Hitler, would you understand why? Now look, I get it. I'm Jewish. You're not allowed to compare anything to the Holocaust or anyone to Hitler. And I get it. That's for good reason. Do you want to know why? It's because there's never been a tyrant, a dictator, a evil mastermind like Hitler. And here's why. Because we have leaders around the world that would never, ever, ever let a dictator, a tyrant, an evil mastermind get to that point because of people in this case, like Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm not saying Muammar Gaddafi would have gone on to be as evil and as absolutely devastating in terms of historical mass murderers as Hitler was. And guess what? We'll never know. And that's a good thing. So it's not like she's talking about, you know, some father of three who lives in Cleveland. She's talking about a tyrant, tyrannical dictator who murders his own people for reasons that we could never even fathom. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, Putin couldn't believe, you know, everything we do makes Putin very angry and resentful. In this case, it was interesting because it wasn't so much that he saw his ally go down, but it was he couldn't believe what Gaddafi had been reduced to, this powerful man. He saw he saw Gaddafi as kind of on his level, you know? He had been totally reduced. I mean, the shame the humiliation, 
and to have been brought down by, of all things, a woman? I mean, his rage and resentment just continued to grow, and it was like reaching absolute maximum heights. He didn't like Hillary Clinton. He hated her more than anyone else. I wonder why. I wonder why. A woman? Anyway, by late 2011, protests, big ones, started breaking out all over Russia, including in Moscow, just outside the Kremlin. Putin and his party and his minions had been caught red-handed on cell phone videos rigging the parliamentary elections. Mother's ass. The first time Putin was actually up for election, as I said way long ago at the beginning of this whole spiel, Putin was never elected. He was handed the position of prime minister. He was then handed the position of president. And that's where he stayed. He made sure of it. So the first time he actually had to put his name on a ballot and have people vote, he didn't even think to let that happen. Rigged it. And he was caught red Handed. You blew it! Everyone knew this. Everyone knew he was up to no good and he would rig elections, no problem. But now they had actual proof videos. Videos that were uploaded to the internet for the entire world to see. I mean, there was stuff on stuffing ballot boxes, officials hiding ballots in closets and in bathrooms, campaign officials filling out multiple ballots. There were certain uh, polling places where the pins were all filled with erasable ink. I mean, crazy crap. And it was all caught on tape. And the Russian people, as you would expect, they responded by taking to the streets. Now, what did I say about taking to the streets? Putin, he can't fathom it. I mean, and these people, this is the biggest protest Russia's ever seen. They were taking to the streets by the thousands. There were signs that actually said, President Putin must go. Once again, Putin, that little bitch, he needed somebody to blame. So who did he turn to? Well, us, but not just us, someone in particular. Julia Yaffe. What Putin sees is, here's American regime change coming for him, finally. He knew that the Americans would eventually come for him, that they would try to oust him. Obama advisor, Antony Blinken. He was thrown by the protests. He was taken aback by the, um, the, the passion of the opposition and had to look for uh, a place to point the finger. <laughs> he pointed it at us. In particular, Putin singled out Hillary Clinton. And we do have serious concerns about the conduct of the election. Clinton's statements on the election were spreading on the Internet. You know, the Russian people deserve the right to have their voices heard and their votes counted. Michael Crowley. He finds it incredibly provocative that Hillary Clinton feels the need to chime in at this moment of weakness, that it's a kind of uh, kick in the gut when he's weak, for which he may never have forgiven her. And again... He would have hated anyone for kicking him in the gut when he felt he was weak. But a woman? Of course he never forgave her. He wanted vengeance. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. Putin went on to tell people that Clinton was speaking directly to the Russian protesters, encouraging them and getting them all riled up. More than that, he actually went so far as to say that Hillary Clinton was providing, quote, funds and means to the Russian opposition. And by opposition, he meant the Russian protesters. And by that, he meant Russian citizens. <laughs> providing funds and means for protesters? The fuck? Because it costs so much money to protest? Huh? He's an idiot. And I just have to say, again, his, his reaction to something like this, yeah, it was angry and resentful. 
just like all the other other times. But this is unique. Why does this piss him off even more? Well, I, I can't imagine why. I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that Hillary Clinton's a woman, right? A woman? Give me a fucking break. And by the way, Hillary Clinton knew that. She knew that going in. She's known that about him forever. In fact, here's a quick clip from her newest book, What Happened? She knows what Vladimir Putin is all about. If only we all did. Putin has emerged in the popular imagination as an arch-villain straight out of a James Bond movie. Yet he's also perennially misunderstood and underestimated. George W. Bush famously said that after looking Putin in the eye, he found him very straightforward and trustworthy and was able to get a sense of his soul. My somewhat tongue-in-cheek response was, he was a KGB agent. By definition, he doesn't have a soul. I don't think Vladimir appreciated that one. Our relationship has been sour for a long time. Putin doesn't respect women and despises anyone who stands up to him, so I'm a double problem. After I criticized one of his policies, he told the press, it's better not to argue with women, but went on to call me weak. Maybe weakness is not the worst quality for a woman, he joked. Hilarious. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a certain, I don't know, reality television star I feel like we heard of. No, no, you're wrong about that. Excuse me. China? Oh. Hold on! Oh my goodness. Well, I can't believe it, but it looks like we actually have a caller. Kind of random, but hey, I'm always, I always tell people they can call in, and so let's see what is up. Hel oh, hello. Hello. Are you there? Hello. Yes. Hello? Hello. Y yes. Hello. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi. Hi. I, I like your show. Thank you. What's your question? Um, okay. I heard, I think I heard you say once that you were, you're Jewish. Is that right? I'm Jewish? You're Jewish, right? Yeah. Uh-oh. Is this going to, all right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. What's up? Okay. I have a question. Um, okay. What, like, what is the difference between uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa? <laughs> Seriously? What's the difference between Hanukkah and Kwanzaa? Hello? But, I mean, they have, the thing they used to say, I'm and saying that. What? Am I not, or am I making that up? Uh... I'm sorry, I couldn't really, you're, you're a little garbled there. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't know much about Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. I mean, as it doesn't take a Jew to know that Hanukkah is the festival of lights. Um, I think, honestly, if I, it's like the, I think the story is the king of Syria invaded Israel, made it illegal to be Jewish pretty much, destroyed a lot of stuff, and then they went to their temple, it was destroyed, and they didn't have enough oil to light the menorah. They only had enough for one night. They lit it. It lasted eight days and eight nights. It was a miracle. That's pretty much the story of Hanukkah. As far as Kwanzaa goes, I, I honestly, I don't really know much about it. Well, I can't really say it because it looks the same. I thought they even had the same number of candles. And I, I don't know. I thought maybe it was like a black Jewish thing. I'm not even kidding. I'm totally serious. I, I don't understand you. What do you want? I'm sorry. Hello? I'm sorry. Are you there? 
I swear. I, I thought you know. I mean, well, <laughs> I at least thought you'd know if it was if it had if it was a Jewish thing. No, Kwanzaa is not a Jewish thing. Hanukkah is, but um, I, I, but anyway. So thanks for calling. Sorry, I don't think we were getting great reception. So, um, but again, we appreciate you calling, and uh, hope you'll keep on listening. All right, all right. I like your show. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Was that a real phone call? Uh, Am I being punked? For real. Anyway. This is the next best thing. Don't go. That was, that was the most random, hilarious call ever. And that is why we keep the phone lines open. If you want to call in and ask, please do it. 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9RFB. Now, back to what I was saying, because it's important. After this, after all this went down, this is hard to go back to this Putin talk after that phone call. I loved that. I loved that. I don't know if it was real, but I loved it. I loved it. All right. So at that point, Putin saw, he thought Hillary Clinton at that point had really crossed a line. I mean, he really believed that she was funding protesters. An idiot he is. But that crossed a line to him. And that was truly probably the greatest threat to his stronghold of power that he had ever seen. And he vowed to get her back. But first, he had to take care of what was going on in his own backyard. And what was that? Well, as I told you, protests were becoming larger, more frequent, and scarier. They, they scared him because if the American leaders could threaten his power, well, think of thousands and thousands of his own citizens rising up to say, hell no, we won't go. Hell no, we won't go. So what did he do to stop the protests? He ordered a strict crackdown on protesters and all dissidents. I mean, he would lock people up. He was persecuting groups and individuals and killing people. It, this is where he's really started just saying, fuck it all. And he started killing people, killing people he felt he couldn't control, at least that he had to put too much work into control. So he said, just kill them. I mean, honestly, at this point, many of Putin's opponents inside of Russia fled the country. They knew what was up. And those who didn't have almost all died, very mysterious deaths. In fact, there's one guy that I think Rachel Maddow has talked about quite a bit. His name is Vladimir uh, Karamursa. What's with everyone being named Vladimir and Boris? Anyway, Vladimir Karamursa. He was poisoned twice, nearly died. And this poisoning, it was a bizarre, almost impossibly rare form of poisoning. In other words, it was deliberate, but he's still alive. Putin secured his power at home by doing all that crazy shit. And then once that was done, well, again, he turned his attention to us and he vowed that his mother Russia would strike at the heart of American democracy. And what is that? Well, it's our elections. The closest thing we have to democracy is our elections, even though the Electoral College makes it non-democratic, but it's the closest thing we have. And that's where the cyber attacks really began. Only they didn't begin there. These were years in the making. The cyber attack began with an email. Hi, John. Someone just used your password to try to sign in to your Google account. John Podesta, in his role as chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign, gets a lot of email. New York Times reporter Scott Shane. So he has other people who are, you know, checking out his email as it comes in. Google stopped this sign-in attempt. 
you should change your password immediately. But this was not from Google. It had been sent by Russian hackers, a computer phishing attack. Spear phishes are a term of art in the cyber world for emails that are meant to look legitimate. Washington Post reporter Ellen Nakashima. Someone's tried to use your password to get into your account. Please uh, click on this link and change your password immediately. A number of people had access to my email account. John Podesta. Uh, one of whom checked with one of our security people about whether it was a phishing email was told no, it was real. This is a legitimate email. John needs to change his password immediately. And he meant to type illegitimate, or so he says to us. New York Times reporter David Sanger. So, but for a two-letter typo, the chairman of the Clinton campaign's emails may not have been spread to the world. At the time, I was not aware that I had been hacked. 60,000 emails from Podesta's account were a political goldmine, part of a campaign aimed at disrupting the presidential election that the American government linked to Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Karamorza is a Russian opposition politician. If it were possible to create doubts and to create chaos with the political system of a major Western democratic country like the U.S., I think that will cer certainly serve the propaganda goals of Vladimir Putin's regime. Now, wait a minute. First of all, the confusion here, particularly about how this all happened, potentially because of a typo, a two-letter typo that might have prevented this whole thing happening. Frankly, I don't really believe that. But either way, the whole thing really pisses me off. It pisses me right the hell off. And by the way, I'm not sure like it even matters at this point. Jesus Christ. All right, now, think... Again, we started this episode by going back in time and listening to John McCain's interview back in 2014. Well, I mentioned that around that time, Russia was hosting the Winter Olympics. Now, that alone was likely the result of some crooked deal. Nothing about that made any sense. Like, first of all, Sochi is considered Russia's largest resort city. So in other words, it'd be like us hosting the Winter Olympics in Orlando, Florida, or the Hamptons here in New York. It's literally one of the only areas in the massive country of Russia that is known to have a subtropical climate. In other words, hot summers, great for the beach and very mild winters. It doesn't ever get very cold, and therefore it really doesn't snow ever. Nothing screams Winter Olympics like laying out at the beach. Am I right? <laughs> oh, and about one more thing. When that city was selected, Sochi had a total of zero athletic facilities suitable for Olympic Games. Zero. Zero. So right away, the Russian government decided to spend about $12 billion to get that place ready, which included providing man-made snow. Again. How, what's wrong with you people? If there's one thing you probably know you're going to need for the Winter Olympics, it's snow. I don't, how could the Olympic Committee give the Olympic Games, the Winter Games, to a place that doesn't get snow? What the, what's going on here? Everything is so corrupt, I just want to... <laughs> but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The point is, this whole thing, it just couldn't have made less sense, and it was all just a chance for Putin to put on a show. By the way, in the end, they didn't spend $12 billion, don't worry. It's not that outrageous. It's more. They spent closer to $50 billion to get Sochi ready for some crappy Winter Olympics that 
kind of, you know, went sideways, if you remember. They spent $50 billion to get Sochi ready for the Olympics. And this is hardly a country that's doing really well economically. Totally a self-serving, look at me moment for Vladimir Bit Putin. I was going to say bitch, but I don't want to be rude. He's a bitch. All right. Anyway, during the games, there were a lot of troubles a-brewing. Oh, boy. Were there troubles a-brewing? There were troubles a-brewing. But Putin's moment of glory was tarnished by troubles just over Russia's border in Ukraine. Ukraine is stuck very much in the middle. Most the protests in neighboring Ukraine. What is Russian president? To Putin, the crowds were a repudiation. The protesters demanded their government move away from Russia and toward the West. Coming in the midst of his Olympics, Putin saw something else. Putin was sure that that was a real conspiracy to rain on his parade. Author Mikhail Zygar. That his enemies wanted to, to steal his, his Olympics. As the crowds grew, Putin suspected the involvement of Russia's longtime adversary, the United States. Putin himself believes that it was the United States. Journalist Yevgenia Albats. You know, he honestly doesn't believe that people can get out on the streets just because they uh, don't like people in power. Yes, how could they do this? It's crazy. You don't understand it. He's an idiot. And once again, this, it's kind of like a weird, bizarre obsession. If he stubs his toe in the middle of the night, America, damn you. <laughs> if he bumps his car and gets a dent, thanks a lot, fucking America. It's like, okay, can you kind of stop being so obsessed with us? You <laughs> loser. But he is He's obsessed with us and everything that ever goes wrong in Russia and in his life is our fault. But... It is around this time that the earliest signs of Russia, of Russian cyber attacks really took place. It was something small. It was something that people really didn't pay much attention to. It was the Deputy Secretary of State. And by this time, keep in mind, Secretary Clinton was not, not in office anymore. She stepped down after Obama's first term. So John Kerry's Deputy Secretary of State, she had one of her phone calls randomly recorded and leaked. In it, she, I think she casually said something dismissive or maybe used a curse word while talking about the European Union, which really is utterly meaningless. And no one would really think much of that, but it was taken out of the context and used to throw a bit of a, bit of a rift in our diplomatic relations. If only we'd known, God damn it, if only we had known how seriously we should have taken that. But the most, most notable thing that happened during those Olympics was... Putin pretty much invaded and occupied the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea, which couldn't be more illegal. It totally violates international law. Thing was, he sent his soldiers in wearing unmarked uniforms. I mean, it really doesn't sound that clever. I don't know how that could work, but it did. They were clearly Russians. They were wearing Russian military uniforms simply without the insignia. They were identical in every way, all the colors, all the patches, but without the specific insignia that said Russian Federation or whatever. So when confronted about it, Putin just casually denied that, that they were his soldiers. I mean, that mother bitch. And in the end, Russia had managed to seize Crimea without ever firing a shot. Putin, the paranoid schizophrenic that he is, had successfully used 
disinformation, manipulation, and not even that clever forms of trickery to create a new form of warfare. I mean, really. And honestly, I don't really think he cared that much about Crimea. I think this was simply to test us. He wanted to see how much he could get away with, see what all he could do without really prompting a response from us. And frankly, it was way too much, way too much. I love President Obama. God knows we miss him more and more every day. But I really, this is one of the few times that I think he really dropped the ball. He failed us. He failed us here. As the cyber attacks and disinformation ramped up, Russia began operating on a new front in eastern Ukraine. The front line of eastern Ukraine's war. Evan The use of paramilitary forces, the use of cyber warfare, the use of conventional military, all of that and disinformation amounted to an entirely new form of warfare, uh, what became known as hybrid war. In Washington, the American government was struggling to devise a response to Putin's actions. How do you deter behavior when the other side is basically denying that it's even taking place? When the other side is saying, I don't even know what you're talking about, we're not involved. President Obama says he's deeply concerned about In several situation. phone calls, President Barack Obama confronted Putin about the little green men. Tony Blinken was in the Oval Office for those calls. Putin denied their presence. And it was striking and flat out lying about Russia's presence in Ukraine. <laughs> and Obama would say to him, Vladimir, we're not blind. We have eyes. We can see. And Putin would just move on as if nothing had happened. All right. It's important that we stop and point out how familiar that should sound. How familiar that whole thing should sound. Just act like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's move on. That's bullshit. That is Donald Trump. That is fake news. That is this whole fucking farce that we've been going through the past year. Donald Trump does outrageous, stupid, embarrassing, and sometimes really dangerous things. And then when he's called out on it, he just kind of says, fake news. This is the media. It's so dishonest. Everybody knows it. Excuse me. It's a Democrat hoax. Moving on. Uh, but I... Moving on. And we let it happen. I mean, this is a page out of Vladimir Putin's book. And uh, again, I just have to say it because it's really true. This is where Obama failed. Putin had, he had more than crossed the line. I mean, he was out of control. And we should have responded somehow strong. And frankly, I'm going to say it, it should have probably been a military response. And honest to God, I, it makes me kind of sick to my stomach to say that. It really does. But it's the truth. I mean, I hate war as much as anyone else, to be honest. And again, that's why it really does make me kind of queasy to say that I think we should have responded militarily. But it's the truth. And I'm hardly the only one who thinks so. At the Pentagon, some believed Putin only understood one thing military force. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, Evelyn Farkas. The most important thing that we could do was to deter Russia. And the best way to do that, we thought in my office, was to make the Russians afraid that they would have to pay a higher price for their military intervention. The higher price would be a price in Russian lives. That if we had anti-tank weapons, the Russian tanks coming at the Ukrainians would get hit and Russian soldiers would die. Yesterday's the CIA director agreed that tough action was needed. John Brennan. I remember being on the 
schoolyards of New Jersey when I grew up and, you know, bullies and try to intimidate and they keep moving forward unless they get their, their nose bloodied a little bit. And I felt as though Mr. Putin really needed to get his nose bloodied. Um, and I think it would have caused him to back off because, like most bullies, he knows that he can't stand up to others. It's a lot of uh, bluster. But the president was reluctant to be drawn into a conflict with Russia. He would not approve providing weapons to the Ukrainians. Peter Baker. Obama responds to Ukraine by imposing sanctions, and they begin to penalize Russian businesses and Russian individuals that they blame for uh, being part of this. Some who had dealt with Putin worried sanctions would not stop him. Do you think? Look, I understand, I empathize, and in a lot of ways, I love and respect Obama's harsh reluctance, almost refusal to enter a conflict with Russia. Okay, I do. And I know he doesn't want to go to war. Who does? But sanctions? Sanctions at that point? Do you really think that sanctions are going to deter Putin? I mean, why not just threaten to put him in timeout? I mean, honestly, come on. Obama's a smart, smart man. He couldn't have really thought sanctions were going to do anything at that point. And the truth is that by letting Putin get away with all of this crazy stuff, this outrageous behavior, we sent, Obama sent, a clear message. And that's that, well, maybe we aren't so powerful after all. American exceptionalism, do what you want, push us around. We're not going to do anything. What, are we too afraid to fight back? Well, that's what he thought, and that's what he went forward thinking. And so he did. He did whatever the hell he wanted. It's the season of politicians making big announcements, and today we got... As the country prepared for the 2016 presidential election... We are going to start winning big league. The insurgent candidate, Donald Trump, was dominating the headlines and generating attention. Great again. Evan Osnos. When Vladimir Putin looked over at the U.S. presidential election, he saw one candidate who was voicing positions that were very consistent with what Russia would have wanted in the world. I think I'd get along very well with Vladimir Putin. For years, Trump had been outspoken in his praise for Putin. I was in Moscow recently, and I spoke with President Putin, who could not have been nicer. Author and journalist Peter Baker. He was personally invested in the idea of Putin as a friend. He said, maybe he'll be my BFF. Maybe, you know, he, and, he, and praising him to the, to the point where he would even... Uh, defend Putin against anybody who said any negative things about him. I think in terms of leadership, he's getting an A and our president is not It appeared so that well. Donald Trump was the kind of candidate Vladimir Putin could like. Former National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley. President Putin's view of Trump was a penchant for authoritarianism, backing off of human rights, and talking about wanting to have a more positive relationship with Russia. What's not to like if you're Vladimir Putin? It sort of sounds like a, he's one of us. He's one of us. It sort of sounds like a, he's one of us. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yes! It's worth pointing out that uh, from what I could find, all of the various people that Trump brought on board of his campaign with ties to Russia, and there's about, I don't know, 17 of them at this point, he apparently did that on his own. Putin couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe his good fortune. How easy it would be to work with him, he thought to himself. But it wasn't just a penchant for Trump's antics, though. Putin, he didn't necessarily want Trump to win as much as he wanted his opponent, Trump's opponent, to lose. He despised who Trump was running against. 
with a fiery passion, and he saw this as his chance to strike back, to take her down. Russian hackers had already breached American government computer networks. The State Department had been penetrated, the White House had been penetrated, the Pentagon had been penetrated. Now a new target, the computer network inside the Democratic National Committee. They were almost the perfect target. Evan Osnos, the New Yorker. They didn't have the full protections of a government agency, but they had much more valuable information than an ordinary private organization. The attack inside the DNC network wasn't secret for long. Ellen Nakashima, The Washington Post. The first intrusion into the DNC, these were initially detected by the NSA, who shares the information with the FBI. And those intrusions, first intrusions in 2015, were by the uh, uh, group known as APT-29 or Cozy Bear. APT-29 was already known to American investigators. Cozy Bear were Russian hackers. There was a pattern in terms of the tools used, in terms of the nature of the probing that they saw, that led to, that pointed back to Russia pretty early on. But inside the FBI headquarters, the reaction was infuriatingly low-key. Apparently, and I swear I'm not making this up, a special agent simply called the IT department, the IT department of the DNC, for nine months. That's all they did. Some guy would call and shoot him a heads up to some kid over at the DNC who reportedly didn't even really believe that it was an FBI agent. I mean, why would an FBI agent be calling the IT department? But honestly, even if they did believe it, even if they had taken it very seriously, some kid in the IT department would have been utterly ill-equipped to deal with such a serious problem. At no point did anybody from the FBI walk out of their building, up the street to DNC headquarters. I did that once as we were writing a reconstruction of uh, this hack. It's about a 12-minute walk if you stop at Starbucks to pick something up along the way. They never bothered. Russian hackers had wide-ranging access to DNC servers. And they didn't respond aggressively. And so for months, the hackers were inside the DNC, working away, burrowing in, collecting information, and transporting it overseas. They waited for just the right moment. Well, hey now, I mean, how can we really expect the FBI to have made a 12-minute walk? They were so busy investigating, then not investigating, then investigating, then not investigating, Hillary Clinton's emails, and what could have been more important than those? God damn it. Anywho. They waited, he said. They waited and waited and waited. They waited for moments like right before the Democratic National Convention. They waited until moments like minutes after that Access Hollywood video came out. Those are the times when the Russians used that hacked information to maximum effect, and boy, did it have a maximum effect. His response is to invite them to do it more. He says, hey, Russia, if you're listening, maybe you can find those missing uh, Hillary Clinton emails. Yeah, and why would he do that? Because it was working. Because all the Bernie bros, many of whom are still divided. A party divided is a party dead. But it would be interesting to see. I, I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails 
that are missing. Robert Costa. Yeah, Trump, the helpful little idiot gibbering in the corner. He thought nothing of any of this. In fact, he loved it. As his son said in an email, well, they loved it. And if I, if you remember nothing else from this episode, remember this. It wasn't just our stupid electorate. It wasn't just the Russians and their cyber warfare. I can't believe how much we knew and how much we let them get away with. The intelligence community knew what was going on and they knew Putin was behind it. And I don't mean they suspected, they thought, they, you know, it figured. They knew what was going on much earlier than we ever realized. Many top-level officials in the intelligence community thought it was an absolute crisis and that something had to be done. They marched to the Oval Office, they went to see Obama, and they told him to sound the alarm. I'm not talking about one or two people, I'm talking about every major leader, top official in the intelligence communities, the various organizations and agencies. They told him to sound the alarm and respond, to take action. Something had to be done. Former State Department Chief of Staff John Finer. Everybody that I knew who was read into this and who was at high levels of the State Department supported both attributing it to the Russians as early as possible and responding uh, in a robust way. Reporter David Sanger. Obama could have destroyed computer servers that were involved in this. He could have stepped in to reveal information about Putin himself and his financial connections to the oligarchs. He had all kinds of cyber choices, and then he had all kinds of non-cyber tools, sanctions, things like that. But Obama resisted aggressive responses. Michael Crowley, Politico. I think the feeling was, how are you going to talk about this uh, without seeming to be influencing the election and taking a side? And I just think they preferred to stay out of it. They preferred to stay out of it. Obama did nothing. Sure, he expected her to win, but he did nothing. He did nothing. At one point, he convened with leaders of both parties. He wanted them all to speak out about this together as a united front. But Mitch McConnell, of course, refused. He said that he would call it out as a partisan way to affect the election. Fuck him, and frankly, fuck Obama for sitting there and doing nothing. For even taking the time to talk to Mitch McConnell. And honestly, for just resigning and surrendering to Mitch McConnell and doing, saying nothing. Again, he failed us here. I love Obama. I miss him every day. He failed us here. And so we can sit here and we can blame Hillary Clinton. She didn't go to Wisconsin. She didn't go to Michigan. But frankly, folks, who is really to blame here? Russians, us, Bernie bros, Obama, Obama, Obama didn't do a lot. He didn't do anything. This is a big deal. During the final stretch of the campaign, the last six weeks, that's when all the fake news really hit. The Facebook ads, the Twitter ads, but it wasn't just on Facebook and Twitter. It was all over the place. Fox News, all over regular news networks. It hit everywhere. And it was big and it had an effect. So we can all sit here and talk about how bad of a candidate Hillary Clinton was. But the fact of the matter is, she would have been an amazing president. She knew how to deal with all these people. We wouldn't be where we are if she was in the Oval Office. And frankly, oh, woe unto us for turning and blaming the one who really could have been our salvation. Remember, friends, apathy is the enemy. For Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been The Next Best Thing. Until next week, we'll see you in the new studio.